Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. And welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Baranowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist, Jay Carson. This is our first show back after our five-week summer break, and a lot has happened while we've been away. One of the biggest and most disturbing things was the shooting of 12 Dallas police officers and the death of five by gunman Micah Johnson at a Black Lives Matter protest on July 7th. On Tuesday, President Obama was in Dallas to speak at a memorial service for the officers. He was joined there by his predecessor, George W. Bush, who lives in the Dallas area. In his remarks, President Obama said that the country wasn't as divided as it may seem and that fault can be found on both sides, police and protesters, for current tensions. So, Jay, what what do you think about that? Is, Is President Obama right about, I guess, both of those things, really? Why well, it would be hard to say that he's he's wrong uh, on on those things, um, although I, I think you can draw some some moral distinctions between, uh, you know, all of the shootings we've 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 talked about and we've looked at, and it's kind of funny. I mean, we started the show, you know, I think one of our first stories was uh, uh, police shootings, and and we sort of hit on on each one as as they go throughout, and something we've we've talked about is each one has been different. Um, you know, Michael Brown, I, I think that the evidence tended to show um, he was the aggressor. It was a justified self-defense shooting. Um, uh, Tamir Rice, which happened here in Cleveland, again, is, is a different sort of animal, appears to be more of a poor training, bad decision-making, uh, tragic accident. Um, uh, there was the the, uh, the New York situation, um, which there, that's that was, I think, more disturbing to both you and me, um, uh, and then and then the even worse one I believe in, was in um, in Florida where the guy was just shot in the back, um, and and to say that there is these these encounters these things occur because of racism uh, is is to cast too wide a net and to say uh, you know they're all one thing. Now I think there's a common denominator about. Uh, uh, how police encounter people and are, are we doing that the right way? Can that be done better? Um, but the Black Lives narrative matter since the, the Michael Brown situation has been this is uh, a racism by the police. This is murder of black men by the police, uh, intentionally so. And, and I think that's that's just simply not the case. And the folks who have been pushing that narrative, and to some extent they've been in government. Uh, if you remember, there was the – uh, you know, Black Congressional Caucus had a big Black Lives Matter thing and hands up, don't shoot and so forth. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's problematic. Um, I think Obama is is saying the right thing here, uh, that you need to respect the police and obviously condemn the shooting. But, you know, let's remember that the Dallas shooting, this isn't something that is a random chance encounter 
uh, of police doing their job and either something goes wrong, there's a misunderstanding, or even you have perhaps a, a police uh, acting improperly. Um, what you've got here is somebody who intentionally um, went out to kill uh, police officers, specifically white police officers. And I, I think you have to – I think that that – demands maybe a higher level of outrage, at least to, to sure. my view. It's an act of domestic terrorism. Yeah. I mean, that's that's simply put what it is, and it is a very different thing. Not that I, I think it's going to lead to any sort of change. You know, I, I had a sort of started a long discussion about this that I later came to regret on, on Facebook and saying that uh, as long as the fundamental assumption of most people on the right, or a lot of people on the right, as I understand it, is that – uh, more guns actually makes us safer. If more people had guns, the mass shootings would be less deadly, that sort of thing. You know, the, the whole thing about the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. If that's your fundamental assumption, then all of these, all of these mass shootings are just going to make people want to get more guns. And it seems to me that on this issue, and this is a really frustrating thing, and I get frustrated with my friends on the left because of this, is they don't understand, I don't think, that fundamental assumption. They think people on the right are just stupid or insane or in the pocket of the NRA. And, and to me, that's simply not the case. It's that they just have a different fundamental belief about the effect of more guns in, in public. And I disagree with that belief, but at least I feel like I understand it and but if, if you don't have that essential understanding, I think it's I think you're just going to keep on talking past each other. Well, right. And, and I, I think the again, we're maybe viewing this as this is just sort of an example of the the dichotomy between right and left. I think you and I are both looking at this from two different perspectives. You're looking at it from a gun perspective. I'm looking at it from a um, what can we do to stop this you know, ideology, ideology, I guess, Um and I, I, for lack of a better word, um, um, you know, it's it's not sort of a complete ideology as, as you know, radical Islam or something like that. But this this idea that um, if, if we're indoctrinating people and, and putting the word out there that the police are uh, enemies of black people, the police are racist, they're they're murdering uh, young black men. Um, you know, when when that message is put out there there will be people who who are not all that stable um sure who will who will take it and, and run with it and that's that's what what's happened here and what, um, to say what's really problematic is that in some in some cases they're absolutely right i mean there are some instances where it sure does seem like the police have essentially you know uh, almost murdered people not almost in some cases and i don't think i actually we've talked about this before i think it's more than likely that the problem is a lot less of a problem than it was in the past, but there's a lot more evidence now, and that's what makes right. it more of, more of a problem. Right. And these things can go viral and, and and lead to this sort of thing. So I think you know probably the police are more professional, better trained, respond better than at any point when it comes to you know policing in minority areas than in our history, but. Again, we have that problem with, you know, greater accountability is they're they're under a microscope like never before. And that's a that's a huge problem that we haven't figured out a, a good way to deal with yet. Yeah. And, and in fact, we, we've talked about this in our other police shooting stories. 
the number of of police shootings overall, the number of police shootings of black people has has been declining significantly, um, you know, as as reported. So, um, you know, that that's not to say, look, there it's never acceptable to have someone, you know, uh, get shot who shouldn't get shot. I mean, they think that's that's just a basic uh, where we come from. Um to some extent, I think what what we need to do is is take a look at these shootings individually, and I guess that's that's what troubles me. And you're trying to lump them all together, and I'm I'm not saying you're trying to lump them all together. I'm saying you. that that uh, sort of Black Lives Matter and so forth are trying to to lump them all together is one thing, um, where you know you may have some shootings that that may be justified, uh, like Michael Brown. You may have some shootings that might have been prevented with better information or better training. Um, uh, you may have shootings that uh, uh, are are simply misunderstandings, tragic accidents, and you may have some that are intentional, um, uh, either either overreactions based on racist assumptions, um, uh, or or in in worst cases outright racist behavior uh, or or authoritarian behavior uh, by the police. Um, by individual police officers. I don't mean to be a pessimist or anything. I mean, I think I'm more of a realist, but it seems to me here that we have, we have two fundamentally almost unsolvable problems. And one of those problems is that there are mentally ill, there are hugely angry people out there, and we can't just make that problem go away. I think we've always had people like that. The second unsolvable problem, I think, is that we have millions and millions and millions of guns, and they're not going anywhere. It's just simply how it is and the idea that we could pass some sort of legislation, do some sort of thing like Australia did after the Port Arthur uh, massacre. That's just not going to happen. That's almost as infeasible as making people be not mentally ill. And so I think that's that's the problem is we're faced with this thing where we want to do something, but I honestly don't see that there's a whole lot we can do. And that's that's tragic. But I think there it is. Yeah, well, what what we can do, and I, I would agree with you on both points. On on the gun point, I think we'd differ because my thought would be that again, the the problem isn't good guys with guns, and good guys with guns are are almost by definition not not a problem. Well, I, um, before you go on, let me say that they may not be a problem in terms of mass shootings, but mass shootings make up a very small percentage of gun deaths, and we talk about things like accidental shootings and suicides and so forth. That's where the majority of gun deaths come in, and that's a huge problem, whether you're a good guy or a bad guy. But I know another point. For right, another but again, discussion. that's an entirely separate. Sure, fair enough. Policy problem. Fair enough. Mental health stuff and suicides, as opposed to, to sure. mass shootings. Um, and and I guess you know my view on on these things is if there is going to be a bad guy with a mass shooting with a bad guy who has a gun, or I mean, even in the case of France, a bad guy who has a truck. Um, you know, I I think it's. Uh, Americans ought to have the right to uh, to protect themselves to the to the best uh, that they're able to. Um, but going back to to what you said there, I, I think there there is a some sort of a and it's not a solution, but but it's maybe you know the media doing a better job, uh, politicians doing a better job uh, trying to frame these issues. And again, that might be an unsolvable problem. Say we don't want more demagoguery on on race or guns. Um, but to, to get them to look at these issues as um, individual issues and what went wrong 
when and how can those problems be solved? Because we, we've talked before, things like, you know, there are some solutions that, that help. Uh, body cameras, uh, better sure. training, better Absolutely. screening in police intake. Um, those are things that, that could be helpful. And, and probably, again, there's, there's no perfect fix. Um, no. But, you know, the other piece is, is media reporting. And uh, as, as you mentioned, is this, is this an epidemic uh, a rising tide of, of assassination of, of uh, young black men, or is this actually better than what status quo had been uh, in the past? And, and you know, lacking lacking context, um, it's easy to to spin the narrative that uh, this is something that it isn't. Sure, absolutely. Oh, I say anyway. Um, tragic tragic event, and unfortunately, I I mean I agree that you know piecemeal approach is probably the best we can do case by case. Uh, but I don't expect this to uh, uh, end anytime soon, unfortunately. Okay, moving on. On Saturday, Donald Trump officially announced his running mate, Indiana Governor Mike Pence. The 57-year-old has been governor for three and a half years, and prior to that, he spent 13 years as a member of the House from Indiana. In interviews, Pence regularly refers to himself as a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. So, what did you think about the pick, Jay? Um, I, you know, I think it's okay. Um, it, Mike Pence is your traditional, more conservative Republican uh, of the mold that uh, uh, most Republicans are more used to and more comfortable with. Uh, it, it seems to be aimed at uh, giving comfort to your more traditional uh, and conservative Republicans who are concerned uh, that, that they just don't know what the hell Trump, Trump is. Or, uh, there's, there's no sort of box to, to put him in. Um, so it, it, it obviously looks as a move to try to solidify uh, his support in the party, which, which again, this is one of those bizarre things that, that uh, it, it's not even a matter of of uh, revving up your base, uh, as, as say Sarah, Sarah Palin, uh, was, uh, it, it's a matter of just sort of appealing to the, the main portion of your, of your party. Um, you know, it, does Mike Pence, uh, help Trump a little bit? I think he does. I think there's, there's a little bit, some, you know, respectability, uh, that, that gets injected into the campaign that maybe wasn't there before. Um, you know, as opposed to had he picked a, a Newt Gingrich, um, who who managed to get himself into even more trouble, um, you know, over the weekends, uh, or a, a a you know Chris Christie, who, while well, again, you know, ideologically, I'm not sure exactly where you'd say he is. He's probably a moderate, but he's a very loud moderate. Um, you know, Pence Pence has that sort of uh, you get a sense of Midwestern decency, uh, nice enough guy, and that sort of offsets the. The Trump New York. Now we'll see how this actually plays out on the, the campaign trail, um, because Trump has you know said these other incredibly strange things about you know oh Mike Pence was my first choice all along. Um, and why do you why do you say something like that? I mean it's just sort of um, it's it's just it's like you'd say that to your wife or something. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, you know she's, she's totally my first choice. Yeah. Um, Protesting yeah too much. Um, yeah. Uh, so. So we'll see, but my my initial sense is it's it's generally something good. It's something that uh, people who are going to be at the convention can say, "Oh, okay." I mean, there's sort of a, a little bit of a sigh of relief um, that that it isn't someone who is 
so far out of the Republican mainstream that that you're you're not sure, you know, is this even a Republican Party anymore? So, you know, they're, 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 when it comes to vice presidential choices, there's sort of a an old conventional wisdom that not only do you pick somebody who looks a little bit different than you are for all the reasons you talk about, but also you should try to pick somebody who is popular in a swing state. Um, but and, and Mike Pence clearly, you know, fits on that first criteria. He's different from Donald Trump. And I think you're right in terms of him being a, a good message to the uh, kind of more conservative base of the party. But geographically, he's from Indiana. This is a state that was going to go for Trump no matter what. And so yeah. some people said, well, why not pick you know someone else? Isn't that what you do? And it isn't really. Since 2000, only one vice presidential candidate was from a state that would have been competitive in, in the presidential election. So it really doesn't happen that often. And actually, research finds that for the most part, unless the state is really, really close, uh, picking a vice president from that state isn't going to have that much of a difference. It might make a difference of a point or so. But, you know, sometimes that can matter, and, and it got me to thinking. So if I were going to pick Donald Trump's running mate, assuming I wanted him to win, which I don't, mm-hmm. who would that be? And and I looked through the candidates and looked through the states. Well, right now, the closest swing state in recent polling, and recent polling right now is pretty shaky for reasons we'll get to in a minute, is Ohio. Uh, right. Clinton's up by less than 1%, in other words, within the polling margin of error. Well, who from Ohio would make sense? I think someone like Jim Jordan. You know, he's experienced. He's a national name. He's been in office a number of years. He's the head of the House Freedom Caucus. A lot of the same sort of things that Pence brings to the table. Now, of course, Pence is a governor and Jordan, you know, just a, a representative. But still, and, and Jordan's fairly popular in his last election. He more than doubled the vote total of his, uh, of his Democratic competitor. So, you know, I think, Jordan would that's, have been. That's an interesting. That's an interesting thought. You know. Um, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, again, this is sort of counterfactual at this point. Sure. Um, uh, would would you? I guess the question is, would Jim Jordan? And uh, caveat: Jim Jordan is is sort of a friend and and uh, uh, old colleague of mine. Um, and we're going to have an interview with him on the show coming up sometime later this summer. Um, you know, first, would he have done that? Right. Would he have uh, have agreed to be a Trump running mate? I'm not sure. Uh, uh, he is uh, Jim Jordan is very committed on uh, a lot of social conservative issues, right to life uh, things, so forth. I'm I'm not sure he and Trump would have been comfortable on uh, together there. The other question is, uh, would Jim Jordan help you in Ohio? Yes, but I don't know that that Jim um, would have the statewide appeal. Uh, that sure, someone else absolutely. would, for example. I mean, again, he would he he he's done well in his district, which is largely rural. Uh, but would he be able to, uh, you know, bring in Cuyahoga County uh, or Cincinnati? Well, you know, those those places. I don't know that he gets you that. Well, you know, it's a weird district that he's in. If you take a look at the Ohio uh, congressional uh, as district, it's to a, a, a Pence or someone who's a statewide statewide figure. Yeah. Well, I'm saying it's a weird looking district, though. If you well, take it's huge, it, ge- it's huge geographic. Well, it, it's it's so it's it's got to be the most gerrymandered district in the state. It looks like some kind of a drunken S, essentially, yeah. that goes for quite a distance. It's a total when you want to if you want a poster child for gerrymandering, that's a great example. You certainly won't find a better one in the state, you know. But and and it, it may well be. I mean, I I I'm 
I think I'd probably say it with some confidence. It's probably the most conservative district uh, yeah. in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. So, so but, I, yeah, I, I think to say again, Jim's a great guy, uh, but I don't think he'd be representative of the state. I don't know that he'd pull a lot of people from sure. the more populous areas of Northeast Ohio uh, or, or, or the Cincinnati area. It's, it's mostly, right. he's a lot of that in between. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, but, you that's, know- but that's interesting. Interesting. Thing. My, my thought on, on vice presidents and this is, Something is, you know, the the conventional wisdom was always you do one of two things. You either pick someone based on geographic balance or ideological balance um, and maybe a little of both. Um, the the fact that, um, you know, what you just said, that, that picking a vice president in a swing state hasn't done much, uh, you know, by the numbers, I think that's sort of indicative as to um, – you know, it's almost like if you think back on this, well, well what wouldn't you expect that to just to, to be the situation? Um, because these, uh, you know, say say you have a very popular, um, for, for example, let's let's take a, a say he had picked John Kasich. Uh, now Kasich is, is certainly popular in Ohio, uh, and and it's partially because he's he's done things that aren't aren't all one way or the other. So what I'm saying is, saying and I'm saying it poorly is that in trying to get um, ideological balance or geographical balance or get a swing state, you sort of have to sacrifice one of those other other pieces. Yeah. To me, it's more – It's really deep thought, but that came out really poorly. Well, to me, it's more like uh, you know picking a football team based on the – Based on how much you like the backup quarterback, I mean, it's the vice president, and yeah. you know, it, people don't vote for vice president for the most part. So you'd have to be wildly popular, and you know, so I, it it doesn't make nearly as much difference as a lot of people would like to think that it makes. It gets a lot of press, obviously, because it's news. But honestly, Mike Pence is not going to make much of a difference either way. That's my final word on that. So, all right. Um, I, I, I will, now I'll just I'll disagree with you because I think it does. It is it is Trump's first real, I think, reach out to mainstream conservatism, mainstream Republicans. Okay, okay, uh, as sort of an accommodation. Okay, so. yeah. Well, I think uh, you know, and and I guess I don't know. Kudos for Mike to Mike Pence for deciding to destroy his political career for going. You know, it's like being first mate on the Titanic. I think at this point, but okay, yep. you know, I I don't understand the reasoning, and maybe that's why someone like Jim Jordan would be smart enough to not do that. So I don't. Maybe we'll get a chance. Maybe you'll get a chance to ask him. I hope so. We can ask him. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on. This week, Bernie Sanders finally, reluctantly endorsed Hillary Clinton. Certainly not. Sort of. Yeah, kind of. Not a ringing endorsement, right? But, you know, I think while some Sanders diehards might find it difficult to get on the Clinton bandwagon, Bernie's endorsement, along with the prospect of a Trump presidency, should probably bring most of Sanders' supporters over to Clinton by uh, Election Day. Would you agree with that, Jay? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I don't think it's very controversial, certainly. And I also want to point out that if you've been following presidential polls lately, I certainly have been, you really might want to con- reconsider how you've been spending your time. And there's a good reason for this. Um, <laughs> because current national poll averages right now have Clinton with a very slim lead over Trump. And that's freaking out more than a few people. But it's important to keep this in perspective. The main thing you need to know, pre-convention polling – pretty worthless. Essentially, my advice to everyone would be take every poll you see before mid-August after the convention bounces for both candidates have died down. Take all those polls with a grain of salt and also 
Don't pay any attention to national polls. National polls don't matter because it's not how we elect presidents. What you need to look Agreed. at is – I, I, I couldn't agree more. No no more national polls. Yes. Uh, nothing annoys me more. A lot of things annoy me more. But it annoys me a lot to see national polls says Clinton and Trump tied at 40 percent. And I think so. You know, that totally does not matter. What you want to look at is polls state by state and especially focus on those swing states. And we you could, you could even just spend your time looking at uh, polls in Ohio, Pennsylvania and Florida. And yeah, that could really that, tell you most of absolutely. what you need to know. Yeah, absolutely. So, And we will certainly be talking about polls as time goes on. But we're really not going to get into that until it actually means anything. Because I, even though there are going to be playing news stories on that, I, honestly, we don't want to waste your time with with that kind of thing, I, I don't think. Well, we'll waste well, we'll waste your time with we other things. Yeah, you know, but we'll talk a little bit about them. But we want to. I think it's important to understand that there, we're going to, going to be seeing a lot of polling, and it's very important. Just keep that perspective in mind. The one thing, though, that I do not expect to change is the uh, the view that voters have of both candidates. They're deeply dissatisfied with both candidates more so than for any two major party candidates in really in, in the history of modern polling. You know, I don't, I don't, and that's, that's, that's what I think is, is really sort of fascinating. And there are so many undecideds who, who in this case, I think may be real undecideds. Uh, I think you, I'm sure you have numbers that would bear this out, but in most elections, when you have people who are undecided, uh, it's not that they're so much undecided. It's just they're low information voters. They haven't been paying attention. They haven't really thought about it in terms of, uh, geez, what am I going to do? And, and these are people who maybe they vote, maybe they don't vote. Um, but in this case, I, I think there are a lot of people who are really, really undecided yeah. in terms of, look, I always vote, but I just don't know what I'm going to do here. Yeah. I mean, a great example of uh, my mom. My mom is a is as diehard a diehard Republican as you're likely to find. She watches one thing on TV, that's Fox News, and she watches a lot of it. She's, you know, a pretty, I'd say, high information voter. And she, well, that's, I, that's my mom too. Yeah. Well, yeah, I have never seen my mom more conflicted. At first, she was, she said, "Well, how can I vote for Hillary Clinton?" I mean, based on her history and all that, I mean, the idea of a Republican voting for a Clinton is just anathema. And she's, I've never seen her struggle like that. And I think that, you know, she's, and now she's saying, but I can't vote for Trump either. What am I going to do? I can't not vote. And I think there are just millions and millions of Americans who are in the same agonizing sort of situation that my mom is. And, you know, I, I feel for him. I, I feel pretty, con- not, I mean, I'm not going to vote for Clinton. I or for Trump. Sorry. The decision for me is sort of to, uh, you know, the, the vote for Clinton or to stay home, basically. Uh, you know, I'll probably end up voting for Clinton, but it's not an easy decision for me. Yeah. And, and that's, that is, I think, fundamentally different than anything we've seen in terms of the block of undecided voters, uh, you know, in recent history. Definitely. Um, which, which brings me to, I'm, this is a little bit of an aside, but there was an interesting, uh, piece and I believe it was in the Wall Street Journal um, but again bringing out the the idea that okay so maybe at this point you know the Hillary numbers and we just said we won't talk about polls but I think it is sometimes important to talk about trends sure yeah um, absolutely and you know the the apparent you know tightening of the polls has not been based on a rise of Trump it's been in a decline in in Hillary's uh, polling uh, some of that is is necessarily situational. Uh, based on the FBI report and so forth, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, uh, but you know, it, 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 sometimes you you start looking at these trends, and once you get into the summer, trends start to matter. 
Um, and some strategists have suggested at this point, you know, what, what Trump needs to do is just not be crazy. You know what I mean? Just, that would help, just I sort think. Of take yeah. those steps to say, you know, again, I am the lesser of two evils. Um, I'm definitely evil, but I'm the lesser. Right. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the plan. Now, again, that would seem to be a very non-Trump thing to do. Uh, but picking someone that is sort of a, uh, plain, plain old conservative, uh, white bread Midwesterner like Mike Pence would seem to fit that strategy. Definitely. Definitely. So, so you know, I want to, uh, speak for a little bit because big news, we have big news coming up in this, uh, this coming week, right? Our hometown, We'll be entering yes. the national spotlight for the second time this summer. The first, of course, being the Cleveland Cavaliers' inspirational and amazing victory over Golden State after being down yep. three games to one in the NBA Finals. Um, but the Republican National Convention kicks off on Monday. And, you know, this is the first national convention that Cleveland has had in 80 years, the last one. 1936, where uh, the Republicans nominated Alf Landon and Frank Knox. And that year, FDR won 523 electoral votes to eight for the Republicans. Uh, the Republicans managed to win two states. I think they'll do a little bit better this time around, but I expect the same better. result. Yeah, they'll do a lot better, actually. So um, I, and I should point out that for decades now, National party conventions have been essentially by the numbers kind of infomercials for the nominee. But this, I think, will probably be the most interesting convention since the Democrats Chicago convention in 1968. So are you expecting fireworks, Jay? I, you know, I don't know what to expect. I, and I, I, I just do want to say, regardless, Republican, Democrat, um, I'm, I'm really proud to be a Clevelander. Um, this is. I, I say this before, and it's my shameless civic boosterism, but this is a, a fantastic city and fantastic people, um, and, and it, it is a city on the rise. And it, it's a city that's been so picked on by the, the national uh, media, the world, and, and, and unjustly so. And I think everyone who grew up in Cleveland or in the Cleveland area, you sort of have this sort of chip on your shoulder of, of always you know, trying to kind of defensive about that. And, and I think we're, we're finally kind of shaking it. Um, uh, the city looks absolutely beautiful. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff to do, um, you know, in terms of, uh, for the, uh, the people who are visiting us here. And, and I think we're going to get a lot of great national attention. Now, the other thing is, of course, there is some, you know, being that this is a, a convention, there's always, um, the potential of, of trouble. And with, with Trump as the nominee, that sort of fuels the fire, um, so I, you know, am I expecting fireworks? I, I, you know, in in terms of violence, I don't know. Are there protests? Sure, there's going to be protests. There was a, um, just this morning, a story on there having a uh, convention of the uh, oppressed, uh, sort of down the other side of town. Nice. It's, it's nowhere near as much fun as the the real convention, but right. Um, you know, if you're into being the oppressed, uh, that's the one for you. Um, you know, I, I, the security measures that are, are being taken here are really, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty significant. Fortress um, Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is just an example. I mean, as, as some of you know, I've, uh, I'm, I'm a sailor and, and have my, we, we joke about my, my yacht and my Republican yachting. Um, but there's actually Coast Guard essentially going to be a blockade <laughs> of any, any outside the, the Cleveland break wall. And um, you have to have a special pass even to get, into uh, the marina 
just for fear that someone could take a boat, get down the river, that kind of thing. Um, and that's this is this is we're talking, you know, essentially three or uh, probably about three miles outside downtown. That there's this big of a, a, a perimeter, nautical perimeter. Um, there are uh, lots of road closures. Um, there are, you know, it's. Everyone, everyone you talk to can tell you these these really incredible, weird sort of security stories about so, what sounds what like it's to a, do. Sounds like it's a good time to stay away from downtown Cleveland. Well, I don't know. I might I might ride my ride my bike down there or something like that. Just maybe get some pictures. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't say it's a time to stay away from downtown Cleveland. I mean, there's going to be some traffic issues, uh, but I I think the city is going to be able to handle it. I, I think there um, there's been a lot of preparation, a lot of forethought. Um, as to how to do this. And, and also a lot of times with these, when you talk about violence or confrontations, a lot of it does come down to geography. And, and I think they've, they've handled this sensibly in, in the terms of uh, who's going to be where and doing what, uh, so that you won't have those, those sort of confrontations. I don't know. Let me ask you this. I mean, Ohio is an open carry state, meaning that yes. you can just strap a rifle on your back and, walk around wherever you want, essentially. And, and for instance, some members of the new Black Panther Party said uh, we're going to be bringing weapons to the streets in Cleveland. And, you know, I hear things like that and I think, uh, wow, holy cow, uh, this does not sound, uh, this does not sound great. Yeah, I, you know, I think that may be, um, you know, just sort of some, some fluffing up by the, the Black Panthers and so forth. Um, you know, we'll see how many people actually show up and open carry. Uh, you know, again, it's an open carry state. I've never in my life seen someone, you know, actually strapping on a rifle or, or you know, outside of a, you know, hunting or sporting kind of context. Uh, never seen someone walking down the streets uh, uh, carrying a rifle. I, I'm, I am doubtful that that something like that will happen. Um, well, I hope you're right. But uh, you know, we'll we'll see. Absolutely. Um, I am and, disappointed. And it, 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 again, the city is is really situated, and I'll I'll try to get pictures for the website or for the Facebook page. Um, you know, just in terms of of the crowd control, traffic movement. Um, you know how how avoiding those kind of flashpoint kind of confrontations. So right, I am disappointed about the the fact that number one. Tim Tebow, who was initially reported to be speaking at the final night of the convention, actually is not. And then also Sarah Palin won't be there because according to Donald Trump, well, you know, she lives a ways away, which was an, <laughs> <laughs> an interesting excuse. Uh, but I think there'll be plenty of uh, firepower, certainly rhetorical firepower inside uh, the convention center when, uh, well, when we get those and speakers. It's, it's going to be a, you know, a different convention, too, just because – you know, I'll tell you as a, as a Republican, you know, even the, the people who are there, all of them, I not all of them, I, the majority of them have very mixed feelings uh, sure. about their nominee. Absolutely. Um, as, as a result, a lot of the convention speakers are going to be your uh, untypical, atypical uh, convention speakers. Trump's um, barber, whatever. I mean, it's... it's exactly, <laughs> yeah. He's um, got fabulous hair, that kind of thing. Anyway. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's something that, that is going to be be different and hadn't hasn't been seen in, in quite a while and um we'll just see how it plays out yeah. but uh you know, other than that i would say I, I i welcome i welcome america to cleveland um the cnn bus is actually going to be is like parked like 200 yards from my house wow um i might go check in on them but uh uh it's it's a lot of fun here and um 
you know, right. hopefully things things stay peaceful, and I think they will. So, well, we will look forward to hearing your man on the street reports they, or updates if, on if Facebook. Are, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be in the middle of it for you. That'll so reporting, be so. that'll be great. Um, you know, one final thing I wanted to mention this week: um, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, or the nor- notorious RBG to her legion of fans, she was in the news this week thanks to comments she made about Republican nominee, at least in a day officially, Donald Trump. Uh, Justice Ginsburg called Trump a faker with an ego who says whatever comes into his head at the moment and has no consistency in his thinking. Um, four statements that, well, I don't know, see three of the four I can certainly agree with. Uh, yeah, it's not saying she's Maybe wrong. he's not a faker, yeah. She further said that she could not imagine what the country would be if Trump became president. And again, I'm with her. But her remarks drew widespread criticism from both the left and the right. In fact, even the New York Times read an editorial titled, Donald Trump is right about Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And later in the week, Justice Ginsburg issued a very surprising, at least for a Supreme Court justice, statement saying that her remarks were ill-advised and that in the future she will be more circumspect. Um, Good for her. What do you think, Jay, about all this? Uh, Again, as much as it pains me to say it, yeah, New York Times is right. Um, No, there are – and there's been a lot of media attention about this and and, uh, – I sort of maybe unfairly uh, picked on someone who posted something about it, but uh, judges are different. Uh, there is a, a well set up, longstanding rules regarding what judges can say uh, and can't say, particularly regarding politics and political candidates. Uh, and and those rules are in place not to protect political candidates from criticism. They are there to protect the the. Um, impartiality, uh, the, the fairness of, of the judiciary. Um, and, and she, she plainly overstepped those rules. Um, sure. Uh, so, you know, yeah, she, she did the right thing in, in apologizing and walking it back. And, and for people who out there say, well, well, I like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and I agree with her. And, uh, and again, I would say in what she said, well, was she wrong? No, probably not. Um, but I would just ask you if, if this was, say, you know, a small town, and the, uh, you know, the municipal judge of that uh, of that city's court made those statements about you, uh, how would you feel if you ever had to be a litigant in that court? Yeah. Uh, and what, you what, know, what would the, you believe you would you would yeah, have a fair trial? I think the, one of the larger problems, and maybe a lot of people don't know this, is that there aren't any real clear and strong ethic, ethics rules for justices on the Supreme Court. I mean, they... Well, yeah, there are. Eh, yeah, not there so are. much. There, there are some there, guidelines. The, the rules are there. The enforceability is what's maybe well, not yeah, clear. Well, yeah, rules without enforcement are, um, I mean, so there are some guidelines and so forth. But, uh, I mean, this has been a problem for, I, I'd say, not just in the case of Justice Ginsburg, but you can look back and you can see justices uh, at speaking engagements for ideological groups, and that, I think, raises some legitimate questions. I have problems, whether a justice is a conservative or a liberal justice, if they're going out and making partisan remarks, I think I think there should be stronger rules about that, and they should be enforceable rules. I'd like to see that, honestly. Well, I mean, they are they are, I think, strong and pretty plain rules. It's the the enforceability uh, when you get to the Supreme Court level. Yeah, because all we have is because the all only, we have is the impeachment. Only thing that could you know you could do is have you yeah. know if you have the other five members. You know, whatever would have to throw you out essentially or, or sanction you. And look, as a matter of, of you know, 
practicality, that's never going to happen. Right. Um, but clearly, as this these things happen uh, at lower levels, um, I mean, I can give you plenty of examples of, of Ohio judges. There's the Ohio, the state system is pretty similar to the, the federal restrictions on what you can say and what you can't say, um, who have been reprimanded for making political statements. I mean, there are you as, as a as a sitting judge or even as a judicial candidate, you're not allowed to appear with any non-judicial candidate. You're not allowed to accept an endorsement from a or, or you can't accept an endorsement. You can't give an endorsement uh, or or a, a non-endorsement, a, a, you know, to, to any uh, non-judicial candidate. Um, and so, look, she shouldn't have done that. And she, she knew she shouldn't have done that. Um, I, I think it's maybe a good lesson um, for the country, just as a reminder of here's the, the judiciary is different. Um, it should be. And yeah, I agree. And my, my sense is if there is a President Trump, uh, he will likely be before the Supreme Court. More uh, than a few point. times, yes. <laughs> They're going to be a, probably the if, – if there is a President Trump, we'll probably see the most executive power cases before the Supreme Court since the Nixon administration would be my guess. And yeah. I don't think that would be too far. But, and again, it's, it's important to, to remember the, the – you know, one of the things our, our society kind of hangs by and it's sort of a, a thin thread is this uh, – you know, belief in the rule of law. And if, if we just kind of surrender that and, and when someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg makes statements, uh, yeah, it'd be like, yeah, she will, she will be other than impartial. Yeah, well, uh, uh, and then she certainly didn't say that, but I mean, directly, but it would be like if, you know, if before a basketball game, one of the officials said, you know, I really hate the Cavs. I mean, yeah, she, exactly, exactly. That's yeah. not, not cool at all. So, all right. Um, I think well, that, I go, yeah, please a, go ahead. A funny, goofy story. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, and that is yesterday, uh, Hillary Clinton was visiting my city of uh, Lakewood, Ohio, uh, to play Pokemon. Um, oh, God. Just to show how, how with it she is. Um, I'm it's, rolling it's my really eyes. Pretty, pretty hilarious. I mean, I don't know if you've followed this Pokemon Go thing. Uh, how could I not have? I mean, essentially, unless you're, unless you're under a rock, I think it's everywhere, isn't it? My God. Yeah. So, well, anyway, Hillary apparently had a briefing. The story goes. The Pokemon on the Go briefing. Here. And made an appearance at uh, a park here in uh, Lakewood, Ohio, just we're, you know, right outside Cleveland, um, at a, a, a Pokemon gym, which is where you go and you can collect your Pokemons and then like you, you have them play against each other. Um, okay, you know a lot more about this than I do, but okay. Well, no, have- I, I really don't. Um, <laughs> but but I, I, my guess is I certainly no more than Hillary. And again, I just think it's sort of um, – you know, come on, this is your yeah. presidential candidate. Well, um. you know, but the larger point right here is that it, whenever – I think whenever presidential candidates try to act like real people, they look ridiculous because of course they're not real people. Exactly. You know? Well, and, and they're just freaks. The, the, I also would point out the irony of, of people who seek power uh, or, or gain power um, often are sort of forced to do the most goofy, demeaning ah, things. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> I like the George Washington model. You know, you just stand yeah. above the fray and you would not dream to demean yourself by that. George Washington would get – would like lose 50 states nowadays obviously with that kind of campaign. But but boy, I, I sort of miss that. I thought – not that I was around for that obviously. Well, I but. mean you get – like I said, you've, you've got to go to and, – and you know, wear goofy outfits and go to county fairs and eat, eat uh, you know, weird fried food and – uh, and in this case, you know, you got to go and, and express your thing. interest for playing Pokemon in Lakewood. So I don't, I, I, I'm betting that Donald Trump will not be engaged in any Pokemon related activities. That's just right. my guess. Yeah, and that's a little refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right. Well, on that on that Pokemon related note, we will uh, wind up for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. It's good to be back. It you is. Can watch, uh, it watch is, the Facebook page. Yeah, it is good to be back. I, I really missed uh, being away, so it is nice to get back. Um, so if you have any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, or any questions for our Ask the Politics Guy show, which comes out most every Wednesday, I should make an announcement about that, actually, before I forget. We're actually going to be starting something new. Uh, we'll, we'll still be doing some Ask the Politics Guys, but on some Wednesdays, we're going to be running some interviews. We have some great interviews already lined up and ready to go uh, with some really kind of interesting and important people uh, from the, the world of politics and media journalism and so forth. So we think you'll really like what we've got in store. So, but anyway, if you do have any questions for Ask the Politics Guys, uh, let us know. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. And our Facebook page, which Jay's mentioned, where we've been posting, commenting stuff. We will start again. And Jay, we'll look for some uh, convention-related stuff from Jay. A man on the street convention coverage. There you go. That's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, please take just a moment and rate the show, write a quick review. Finally, if you like what we're doing and want us to be able to keep on doing it, a donation of even a dollar or two. The price of a bottle of Turtle Wax Chrome Polish and Rust Remover would really help. You'll find donation links on our site, politicsguys.com. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.